aren't uh, uh, in grades four through nine, and they're going to have lots of fun out there. And if you're going to be sticking around with us, we encourage you guys, or not grades, ages four through nine, yeah. Uh, we encourage you to open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis. And uh, I understand they're going to be doing a sound lab or something lab like that this morning. So um, Sandy's been preparing for it uh, for a couple weeks now. It's always exciting to see God moving in the lives of our young people as they're heading out. Man, they are noisy, aren't they? For a sound lab, they're really good at giving us a a definite proof of just how noisy kids can be. So, But I love it. Noisy kids are good kids, I guess. Can we say that? They're gone? We can say that? Okay. So, very good. So, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up the book of Genesis. We're going to be in the end of the first chapter, beginning in beginning of the second chapter. Um, we are uh, going through a series of uh, habits, is the name of the series. It's uh, habits for daily living, rhythms, if you will, for our daily life, as we look at how we can work out our, our, our Christianity, our, our faith in the Lord, on a daily, weekly, monthly, and, and really annual basis, and, and how we can try to apply some of the principles to allow us to draw closer. So I've titled this sermon, The Rest for the Rest of Us. Because the idea here is we're going to talk about rest. We're going to talk about something that is um, probably one of the hardest uh, topics that, for at least for me, uh, to talk about. Because one of the things that I am least capable of um, of, of following through on, uh, we're dealing with habits and rhythms of our life, and and I think this is one of the things we're talking about spiritual disciplines um, in our life. This is one of those areas that um, all of us could work more on, whether it's the discipline of fasting, whether it's the discipline of worship, which we talked about last week. And I know worship has a um, has become an interesting um, uh, word in the culture, and we often have different uh, imaginations of what that means. And, and I hear young people say to me, I wish that worship were a little bit faster. I hear older um, members say, I wish that worship was a little, a little slower and, and more in touch with the roots. But the truth of the matter is, we're all coming forward together to worship, right? And the final thing I want to say on that is something that that Ravi Zacharias says, and that is that worship is and should be the central focus of every child of God's existence. We were created to worship God, right? So whether we worship with a fast-paced song, whether we worship with a more thoughtful refrain from an ancient time, doesn't matter. It's the idea that we are coming into the presence of God to do what we've been created to do, which is to worship Him. So when we're looking at the discipline of worship, that's the way it should be. Now we're going to roll into the discipline of rest, which is something that is incredibly difficult for us to do. Um, And when we start looking at this, I know some of us are sitting here saying, well, how does this apply to our lives? Uh, We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But the thing you guys need to understand is the majority of these messages are really geared towards those of us that have already accepted Christ as our Savior and are seeking to draw closer to Him. Disciplines and these spiritual uh, disciplines we have aren't something that we use to gain salvation. Rather, they are some things that allow us to draw closer and find a, 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 um, a better or more different way to express our love and respect towards God. It's a way for us to be able to demonstrate that love as we draw closer to Him. And it allows us to be in the particular spot to be ready 
for the transformation of God's power in us and through us. A lot of times, we get moving in our lives and we get busy so much, we don't always realize that God's just waiting to be able to invest more in us, but we get going so fast, and and busyness and activity can often be the bane of our Christian life because we get so busy that we oftentimes forget to even let people know that we are who we are, children of the living God. You see, the truth of the matter is, we as human beings in the Western world, especially the United States, we have, a, we have a, a, an unhealthy, dysfunctional, and inappropriate relationship to work. We oftentimes peg status to overachievement. Many of us admire workaholics. In fact, I have no doubt that in the course of your fellowshipping, especially if you were shaking the hand of somebody you haven't seen in a while, that their first, when you say, hey, how you doing? How's your week been? Almost the first thing out of the mouth is, oh, it's been unbelievably busy. Oh, I've had an incredible this last two weeks. Oh, I've been doing this, this, and this. It's amazing to me how that's like almost the first thing that comes out of our mouth. And it doesn't matter whether we're retired or not, because I know some of the retired saints that we have here, and you guys are busier than some of the folks that go and work a nine-to-five job. It's incredible how, in, how busy you guys are, how we are, how I am. And we oftentimes allow that to take over our existence to the point where if, if you're a workaholic, it's almost like you're, you're up here. And that's kind of a, a downside. You'll notice in your bulletins, I, we put a couple different inserts in there. And I want you to know, I don't normally put the inserts in the bulletins just for, just for, just for giggles and grins. You know, I don't, I don't do this just to, to make myself happy. I do this because I want you guys to see some, some tools and things you need to be able to move forward in your walk. You'll notice there's an article in there, and it's just an excerpt. I wanted Casey to be able to put it all on, the entire article on one one page front and back, but it was just not possible. The article is actually incredibly huge. It's written by an Orthodox Jewish woman. I think her name is Judith, Judith uh, Shovitz, Shovitz, Shivitz, Shovitz. Yeah, I was having a hard time pronouncing that name, but um, a wonderful individual. And she's, she was a woman who was raised in, as an Orthodox Jew and then fell out of the practice. And she realized in the midst of her busy life, living in New York City, as she became this really amazing professional, as she was acquiring all of this uh, uh, prestige in her work life, that there was something missing. And she began to realize that there was something that needed to be added to her life. And when I say added to her life, it really meant taken away. Because she had gotten to the point where she was lifting up work and it become her God. And she had to reach back into her, into her spiritual past to pull forward a, something that was a principle that we're going to talk about today, which was remembering and keeping the Sabbath. We're talking about this idea of Sabbath rest. You see, rest, this idea of Sabbath rest, allows that machinery of self-censorship to shut down. It allows us to be able to still this, what, what she says in her article, this, this eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. I found that interesting. I was sort of meditating on that this week as I was thinking about this message. We're going we're to get to reading out of what Scripture has to say about this in a moment, but I just want to, to let this out there, and I want you guys to be thinking about this, the idea of self-censorship shutting down and, and this internal inner murmur of self-reproach. I want you to think of those words as we begin to read Scripture and be able to see what God has had to say, because we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in, in chapter 1 of Genesis. We're going to start off in um, uh, verse 26, 
uh, as we begin to just sort of lay out the groundwork. This is, the begin- this is like well into the midst of the sixth day of creation. And God said to, he said, let us create man, make man in our own image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of, of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed so it may be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and and every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw that all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then there was the evening and the morning of the sixth day. Then the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. And by and in verse 2 of chapter 2, by the seventh day God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and had made. Now I'm going to stop there, and we're going to come back to that, but I just want to sort of lay some groundwork so you can begin to see what was happening here. You see in verse 26 that God was coming together, and we can have a very long and lengthy discussion on the, on the discussion that, that God had with himself, with the, with the Trinity there. It says, let us make man in God's image. And the, the beautiful phrases there, it's, it's a small little verse, but yet packs such an important punch in the idea of what it means to be created in his image. You look in verse uh, 27, we see the, the idea of, of image of God being drawn forward, the idea of make and create there. You see that God is using two different words. The word for make is asa, the word for create is bara, and it's, it rhymes in the Hebrew. In fact, you'll notice throughout this entire passage that although we read it in the English and it sounds kind of unique, but in the Hebrew, it's actually a, it's a poetry. It's a musical song that can be sung if you do it in the right way. And God is obviously giving us the song of creation as he lays out how he brought everything into being. You notice that um, there is a difference between create and make. You see that where he says God created man in his own image, um, but in the moment before that he said let us make man in our own image. You've got the two different contrasts, the words, and it's interesting that you can have one without the other, but you can't have the other without the one. In essence, you can have that God can create man but you can't have, he can't make man in his own image without creating him first. There are two different words that are there. And God is trying to, to define this. He says, I'm going to create this life. I'm going to bring this life into existence. I'm going to set it forth. But I'm not going to let it just be there all alone. After I have brought this life forward and I put my stamp on it and my spirit in it, I'm going to take this creation and I'm going to make this creation into my own image. The idea of progressive sanctification as we draw closer to God is laid out right there as God says, I am going to make my own image in this, in, in this creation, but I'm also going to create this, this final capstone of creation, this ultimate being, this, this pinnacle of all that I have achieved will be crowned in this final creation, which is mankind. It's really a beautiful picture if you look at it. As he goes on, you see that mankind was given a job right in the beginning. 
He was appointed to rule over everything that was there. It's interesting that we see that in the introduction of, of sin, when, when Adam and Eve first sinned and disobeyed God, that they, they obviously lost the right to be the true, um, the true rulers over the earth because they, they, they gave that right up. But it was still the job that was given to them in the beginning as they were placed in the garden, as they were given the option to, or the, the, given the job to be able to care and tend for the garden, to be able to create, to be able to be in the image of God as they draw closer to him. But it's interesting that as we start to see that even though the sin made them and marked us all as disobedient children, the one thing we didn't lose was the image of God. It's still there. That's why when the Bible says that, that God doesn't wish anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance, it's a powerful thing because he recognized, as we should, that all life is, is bound up in that image of who God is to us and who we are to him. We are his special creation. That's why there isn't a human being on the planet that's, that's not worthy of the call. There's not a human being on the planet that doesn't deserve to hear the truth. There's not a human being on the planet that doesn't deserve to have the option to accept Christ as, as, as their Savior so they can too step into glory because that's the ultimate goal that God wants. Of course, it broke uh, Jesus' heart on the cross to know that although the offer was out, the gift has been given, so many people would reject it. He doesn't want that, but it's happened that way. Now, if we come through the, the whole narrative, this song of creation, you see that, that God is laying this out for the, uh, for the sons and daughters of men as, as he plans to create this beautiful and amazing garden. You know, it's interesting when you look at it is that when you look at that final day, that day seven as we roll into that, um, right before that you see that God saw all that he had created and he said it is very, very good. It's very good. That word in Hebrew is mewed. And it means just what it says, very, tremendous, awesome, um, all these other words that you can put into place. It's used over almost 300 times in the Old Testament to describe something that's truly very good. It was interesting that when the children of Israel in the, uh, came into the, the promised land, when, when Joshua and Caleb went and spied out the land, they came back and gave the report. They used the very words of God himself to describe the uh, the promised land. They said it's very, very good. It's exceedingly good. They actually repeat the word meud twice. Meud, meud, very, very good. Exceedingly good to describe what God had provided for the children of Israel. Now, we know the end of that story. They didn't go into the, gar uh, to the promised land. They had to wait another 40 years so they made it in there. But God still had that held out for them. Now, as we look at this poetry, this, this beautiful narrative, this picture of, uh, of, of creation, we see some, some interesting things as he moves into the final part of that, which is the heavens and earth were completed and all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work and rested, it said. You notice that this final day didn't have the same ending that the rest of them did. All the other days talked about a beginning and end. The, the sun rose and set. There was a complete day that was there. But in the seventh day, that wasn't the case. The, the writer of this, of this, whoever was putting this together, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, but as they, were, as they were putting this together, they wanted to let people know that the seventh day had no equal. 
You see, the other six days did. The first day and the sixth day, they were complementary. The second day and the fifth day, they were complementary, and so on and so forth. As we see the, the parallels of creation as, the, as God was moving through those days. But the seventh day has no parallel, has no like. It has nothing that, 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 that you can compare to it. It was a standalone day. And the beautiful part about it is God doesn't tell us that it began or ended. It's almost as though he's trying to tell us that at that point in creation, what God was saying is that the poetry of creation is is done, but yet this idea of perpetual rest, that creation that God has given to mankind was to be this perpetual rest that God had provided and that we would go from this point for all eternity to be able to spend with God in his presence. Now, we know that that didn't end up that way, that man left that spot of rest and relaxation with God and moved in a different direction with sin. But this was the intent for all time. And you say, well, how do you know this was the intent for all time? Well, that's really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. The reason why is because we can see as you move through to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 4 and 5, the description of what it means to be truly within God's rest and what he's called us to. Two. You know, when I look at this and I look at what God says in, in 31 where he says it is very good, beholds all he can make. You know, a lot of people have, have looked at this and they wonder about this because it's almost like God was, it, 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 he was like compartmentalizing, you know. He was saying, well, everything's really good right now, but you know, there's going to be a moment in a few minutes, you know, or months or weeks or however long it was for mankind to fall where sin was going to enter in. And we know that sin is not good, right? We know it's not a, it was not part of the actual plan or, or, or how that God was working out. And how can God say in, the, in, in verse 31 that everything is very good, knowing that sin was going to creep into his creation in just a short period of time later? You know, I contend, and I've, I've talked about this, and, and there are many theologians that feel the same way, that, that this idea, when God is looking at this, he's looking at the totality of creation from the beginning of time to the end, from the moment that he said, let there be light, to the day he says, that's it, the ends of the heavens and the earth are now, and the new heavens and the new earth will be created, that, that this whole span of time was seen by God, and he looked at the totality of it, and he says, it is very good. And I agree that that's probably where God really is. He's looking at everything he's created from the beginning to the end and he says it's very good and it goes right back to what we said before when it said that God when when he said let us make man in our own image the idea that we are going to be grown and and matured as we move ourselves through God's power and training and guidance into the true image of God and so we finally step out of this life and into the next we can say from beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are truly moving into his presence for all eternity, that we can rest for all eternity. And that's the goal, right? So all that being said, and that's sort of the groundwork that sort of lays behind this, we now get to the, the probably the worst, um, worst described and exemplified uh, virtue that God has given us in this idea of Sabbath rest. You see, he says he, ble- he rested on the seventh day. You know, I often wondered about this, and I... And I, I, I I meditate on this quite a bit because it's one of the areas that I know I struggle with. And I can't count the number of times I've said this week, man, I'm just tired and, and I'm just weary. And I know that you guys feel the same way. I went out to visit Tom's work site and I swear you guys work. I mean, you guys work. You guys really work. I almost feel bad. I get tired just watching you guys work out there. And, you know, when, I, when I'm talking to him, I mean, I, the first thing I say, Tom's like, how you doing? I'm tired. 
You know, I know you're tired. You're working six, seven, eight, nine, ten days a week. You know, you guys are really going going hard. And I understand trying to get work done before winter, and that seems to be the way it is up here in Alaska. You know, we we rush, 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 rush to get done, and then we we hope that we can sit down and rest during the winter time. That doesn't happen. You know, I've been here five years. We're looking at our sixth winter now, and I'm telling you now, in six winter, five winters, I haven't had a moment's rest during the winter time yet. I'm looking for, <laughs> I'm looking for that time. You know, I have, I have three guitars, a banjo, a bass guitar, and electric guitar. I have like five guitars and a banjo. And I keep telling myself, this next winter, I'm going to take some time in the slow season and teach and learn how to play an instrument, right? I still haven't even picked them up. There's dust on my guitars in my office. They look nice, but they're totally untouched because we don't have that. I don't have that time. You know, we get busy, But this is what God is saying. He's saying, look, on that seventh day, he blessed it. He sanctified it. He called it holy. You know, God didn't rest because he was tired. You know, God didn't step back from that going, man, that was the hardest thing I ever did. He didn't do that. You know, I know we could have a large discussion of whether or not God, it was the whole seven day. I'm a seven day literalist. You know, I believe that God created the earth in six literal days. I mean, 24 hour periods. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But you know, I know for a fact, and I know my God fairly well now. I mean, I don't know him completely, but as best as I can. And everything I know about God tells me this, that he could have created all of creation that the way it is and the way it is, is going in like one second, like a fraction of a fraction of a second. He could have just thought it and it happened. He wouldn't even have to say The words wouldn't even have to say let there and it'd already be if he wanted to. But for whatever reason, he chose to take a few minutes, right, to create the universe. And he chose to take some time. But you know, I'm... I try to, I fancy myself as being a bit of a maker. You know, I like to create things. I'm not very good, and I'm still teaching myself a lot of areas. And I've got like scars all over my, my left hand now that are evidence of, of, my, of my desire to, to, to whittle. You know, I'm not a very good whittler, and I keep trying. And I keep, I've gone through all the band-aids in my house. I want you to know that. But I enjoy it. You know, there's something powerful about me taking a raw piece of wood and just taking a little tiny knife and just scrape and chip and chip and chip until you have a face or, or an item or a thing and you'd be able to, to, to be able to craft this and say I did this and then you look at it and you go man that's really bad um, but I made it you know but you get excited you know because you're creating something you're like bringing something out but here's the beautiful thing is is that we as as many creators we are like we're like following in God's image every time we create something whether it's the beautiful, precious life of a child that builds in a womb and comes out into a baby, or whether it's a, a piece of picture or a, or a song or a poem or a thought or an idea, we are following in God's example. He was the master creator. We are the mini creators. We create because we are in his image, right? And so I, I, I kind of fancy myself that. And I'll tell you, there's nothing. It all starts with an idea, right? A glimmer. You know, you guys know my father passed away not so long ago. And... I had the opportunity while I was down there to really to say goodbye and to be able to really reconnect with some of my roots. And, and after it was over with, he was uh, cremated. I'm not a big fan of cremation. I understand it is. My, my father really wanted to do that because he, he, wanted to, he wanted to sit in heaven and watch God pull all the cinders back together at the rapture. 
He wanted to see that happen. He thought that would be a neat show. And I'm thinking that's, you know, there's that whole thing about tempting and testing God. Are we really supposed to do that? And he goes, I don't care. I want to see it happen. So that's what he's doing. He's up there dancing the streets of gold with my mother. And he's waiting for that moment when, he, when God's going to blow the trumpet. And we're all going to, and his body's going to reform. He knows it because the Bible says we're going to have that, that new body, that, 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 that synthesis of the, of, the, of the old and the sinful created sinless at that moment and, and merged with the soul as it, it creates that, that, that final body as we're going to be able to walk through eternity with, with God. And it's me a beautiful time. And, and I'm thinking, how can I honor my father? Obviously, you know, we buried him. He, I mean, we haven't not buried him. We, we burned him. But, you know, he's done, right? It's over with. And, and so we all have like ashes and, we, and we, we, they divided him up. And it was kind of sad because the, the funeral home guy came up and he handed me this box, right? His little, little box, but yay big. And he says, here, this is your dad. You know, I'm like, wow, that's really small. I mean, I know he's kind of skinny. I know he's kind of short. You guys met him a couple years ago. And I'm thinking, wow, it's just to imagine the entire human being condensed in a little box. And I was like, that's really, wow, you know? And so uh, we were looking at ways we can honor him. And one of the ways, my dad was a sailor, and the first ship that he ever was on was the Midway. And it's now a museum in San Diego where my son Alex is stationed, and he's going to drop some of his ashes over the edge. I don't know if he'll do it legally, but he's going to do it, you know? And it's just going to be one of those things to honor my father as he, as he drops, you know, his, ocean, all, his ashes all into the ocean that he, he began his, his career in. And one of the other things I did is I, I bought an urn that it has like a like a, a fisherman holding a fish because my dad loved to fish and I have his ashes in there and so what I'd like to do and, and ever since that moment that I stood beside his casket and I'm thinking how can I honor him I've been thinking how can I how can I do something that would honor him he was also a woodworker and I've already got in my mind this, this really nice little shelf that I'm going to sit this urn on. And I'm going to build this shelf in such a way to give him all the honor that I can. Because I want to lift him up. I want that to be just perfect. But it begins here in the mind, right? And then I've already started it. But it's going to take me at least a month or two to get this done. Because I want it done right. I can make it quick and it'll be okay, right? I can make it quick and it'll look okay and not that great. But I want to take my time because I want it to be perfect. So that when people walk into my house and they see the, 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 the thing, you know, that I've earned. And you now know who it is that's in that urn. You can say, well, I can see you've, you've used whatever skill God's given you to honor him, right? And so when I, and this is me trying to honor my father in, in creating something that would honor the legacy that he created in me and my brother and my sister. And so God wanted to do the same thing, but in a different way. You see, he didn't have anything to go before him. He wasn't honoring somebody that passed away. He wanted to create something that was going to be lasting and beautiful. And can now you understand how a craftsman that is of God's caliber would take 10 minutes or more to, to craft and create I mean, entire chapter two of Genesis is all about the hands-on creation of, of, God, of, of man, right? How he formed him out of the dust and how he, he, he created Adam. And then from Adam, he created Eve and, and how that beautiful, special relationship is. I mean, all we get in chapter one is, well, he created man and woman. Like, okay, that's special. But in chapter two, he's like, let me tell you how I created man and woman, right? And so you see this beautiful, amazing creation. And so at the end of it, he says, you know, I'm done. I'm resting. He's creating something even better than that. See, actually, some people would say the greatest creation he created was mankind. But I would say that's, that, that may be the greatest, but the actual second greatest thing he created on that was that seventh day, that final moment of rest. You see, for thousands of years, this is how God combated the idea of workaholism how he tried to keep it at bay, 
how he tried to make sure that people would not get so wrapped up in idolizing what they did, they forgot to remember that God is the one we're supposed to be lifting up, right? And that's where we're supposed to be at. As we seek to honor him, we can honor him in our rest as much as we can in our work. I can't count the number of saints that have come over the years that I've known that have been part of our congregation, part of our time, where they talk about how much work that they're doing for God. I remember sitting here once, I was walking up and uh, up the, it was in this church, I was walking up the stairs and, and somebody passed by me and, and I happened to, to comment to someone else that I was going to take a, a day off, you know, I was going to just take a moment and go fishing or do something, I can't remember what it was like early on when I first got here, and the, the, the other member said, man, I wish I had time to take off, I'm just so busy dorking for God, and I'm thinking, wow, that's really exciting, and I was really excited that they were working so hard, but as I looked at that conversation in my mind, I replayed it over and over again, I'm thinking, is that really where we need to be? Should we, should we say to ourselves that we are so busy working for God that we don't have time to rest with and for God? I mean, if you think about it, we're given the commandment to rest, right? I mean, if you look at it, there are like four or five things we can pull out of this whole idea of what it means to be Sabbath rest. The first thing we need to say right in the beginning is the commandment. I mean, God told us not to lie, not to cheat, not to steal, not to do all those things in the Ten Commandments. And some of those Ten Commandments are pretty massive, you know, like don't kill, right? And, and you got love your mother and your father, you know, honor them. And those are pretty weighty things. But right tucked in the middle of all this was keep the, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? Right in the middle of that. It's amazing how God would waste, waste one of the Ten Commandments on something that was trivial. Or maybe he didn't waste it because it's not trivial, right? But this is one of the commandments where everybody says, oh yeah, I got that. As we hurry and busy and move through our days off. See, the reality is that, you know, when you start looking at what, day off, what days off means, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that, that taking a day off of work means that you're resting. You know, you can't just stop working. I don't know about you guys. Tom, I don't know if you can do it. Can you just stop working? Oh, wait, I know you can't because Chris tells me. Because you go home at night, and instead of resting and sitting there enjoying Fox News and a cup of coffee, you're sitting there pouring over plans, thinking about how you're going to do next day. You probably put as much work in the evening in front of your, on your table as you do uh, pounding nails and in, in building your house. I'm not picking on you, Tom. I, I, you're like me. We're all the same. We spend all of our time thinking about what we can do, what has to be done. How many times have we just sat back and said, you know, I'm not going to think about work. I'm not going to think about what I need to do. I'm not going to put my calendars away. I'm not going to answer an email. I'm not going to pick up a text. I'm not going to listen to... How many times do we do that? See, we don't do that. We just don't. You know, I, I admire my wife. She has, um, she has uh, email on her phone, and she has like 6,000 unread emails. I'm picking on her. I'm not kidding you. Look at her phone. She has 6,000. It's making me sweat just thinking about the fact she has 6,000 unread emails. I don't have one. In fact, well, I might have one or two, right? Um, because as soon as one pops up, I'm there. You know, I want to know, what is it? I got to fix this. I got to take care of it. Maybe this is a problem. Oh, thank you. It's just junk mail. It's gone. But I take care of it, right? I clean that box out. I want to make sure I'm up to date. When the, like this morning, um, well, the, well, this morning, it's like midnight. We went to bed early because I wanted to be well rested for the sermon. You know, I went to bed early. So, uh, so the dogs, I guess, went crazy last night. Sandy jumps up out of bed. She didn't even realize I was still asleep next to her. And she goes running around the house trying to figure out what it is. And she sends me a text. Where are you? I'm like, well, I was sleeping. Thank you. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's like, but, but it, it, I was so conditioned that even in a sound sleep, I heard that stupid thing go off and my hand went, you know, I can't see 
this close without glasses, right? I don't have glasses on when I'm sleeping, but I'm still right there. What is it saying? Oh, wait, I can't. Okay. Oh, I would say it. What are you doing sending me a text? You know, but that's how we are. We're so ingrained in that. We can't get away from work. And the sad part is now we've come to an age technologically where we can, te- we can actually work everywhere, anywhere. We're not bound by anything. Everybody's like, hey, that's great. But this is a curse, guys. Right. It is. It's not a good thing. You know, it used to be that if, if you were out fishing on the boat, you couldn't get a call. It used to be if you're out in the woods and hanging out with your friends or playing ball with your kid on the field, you, weren't, you were out of connection. Somebody would have to leave a message with someone who happened to answer a phone that you might be connected to at your house. We still have on our wall, even though we don't even have a landline in the parsonage anymore, we have on our wall next to where the landline used to be a little placard that says, uh, when you answer the phone, be polite because we have kids, you know, be polite, say yes, ma'am, no, sir, and write down the name and the telephone, the time uh, and the message. You know, we, we have that all right there. The truth is, we all have answering machines now, right? We all have ways to connect people on instant notice. And it's so bad that when we don't get reconnected back, we get angry. The thing is about this whole connection, this whole concept of working, is that we are moving away from the commandment to rest. The other thing you need to remember is this this is a holy thing. The Bible says that he sanctified, he made it holy. He set it apart, and we should too. He blessed that day, and there is a beautifulness in that blessing. He said that in that blessing, that it's the fullness of that day. It's, it's the day that's set aside to refresh and renew and to reconnect. It also makes us remember the creation, remember that God rested, remember the time before sin and shame invaded our universe. Remember a time when it was not good, or it was good, and forget the time that it wasn't good. It also allows us to anticipate that new creation, that moment where God's going to say, it's done. He ends it, and he creates the new heavens and the new earth. And so this is what we do when we take a moment to rest. You also have to remember that it's a gift, right? God is giving this blessing to us. It's not a curse. It's not something that's an obstacle. I mean, honestly, if you think that your day's off, that your time of rest is an obstacle that gets in the way of your work, you know you've got a problem, and it's not good. Too many of us are like that. It teaches, us, it teaches us that, that in our hearts that everything that comes to us and flows to us, it comes from God. And if we're, if, there are some dangers in this, you know, and some things you've got to be careful. And, you know, we should never look at work as an obstacle. We should never take busyness as a source of pride, even though we love to tell people how busy we are. We mentioned that before. Boasting about how overworked we are is almost like a national pastime, and it's wrong. I tell you, the world will keep spinning even if our fingers aren't involved in the spinning. The universe will get by just fine without us. I know we've got several of our guys here who are at that point in their life where they're thinking about actually putting in the paperwork and retiring. And, you know, one of the things that, that may be holding you back is, is the fact you wonder how this place is going to get along without you. Now, you know, the truth of the matter is, it may not get along perfect, but it'll get along. It will. My dad once told me 
He said, because I was really worried. This is back when I was managing, um, uh, managing these restaurants, and I was having a hard time separating myself, so I was working seven days a week trying to keep this thing running because we wanted that bottom line to go. My dad brought a bucket of water out, and he set the bucket of water in front of me. He says, Al, I want you to put your hand in the water, and I want you to pull it out really fast. And I did, and he goes, do it again. And I did, do it again. I did, and he said, at any time that you pulled your hand out of there, did you leave a hole? I said, no. He said, there you go. Same thing with your job. Doesn't matter how fast you try to pull your hand out of there, it's going to go on without you. You're not going to create a hole. There may be a blip, there may be a bump, there may be a, an irritation, but the truth of the matter is the world will keep spinning without you. Thing is, though, we get guilty. We get guilty when we take time off. We get guilty when we, when we rest, and this is the problem. Remember how I told you that that, um, that author of that article talks about how the uh, self-censorship shutting down and the idea of stealing that eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. What that literally means is that the enemy is constantly there trying to push us forward. And sometimes he gets us to sin and fall away from God. Other things, other times he tries to get us so busy that we don't want to stop. And this is how he does it. He tells you you're not good enough. You haven't done enough. You have, there's still more that can be accomplished. That your worth is in what you produce. You're only valuable. You're only valuable if you're making something useful to other people. You're only loved when you're useful. That's what the enemy tells you. But the contrast to that is what God says. And we don't listen to that small voice, that still small voice, where it says you are worthy. That echoes the words from the cross when he says, well, when he says it is finished. When God said, well done. When he says, I love you. He says, I want you to enter into my rest. And then out of that rest, you can work because you are mine. And here's the most amazing things in this. If you really look at the, the pattern of how things is, God created man and woman on the sixth day he tasked them with a job, right? So like the sun is setting on that sixth day, it's almost going down. Adam and Eve are sitting there and they're looking up at God. They're looking at all this creation, looking at the amazing garden, looking at everything that's been gifted to them. And God says to them, I want you to go forth, be fruitful, multiply. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to rule over it. I want you to do all this stuff. The sun sets, right? Okay, so the end of the evening of the first day was done. It was, very, it was good, we know that. And then he rolls into the seventh day. So it's amazing how God created man, he tasked him with a job, and then he said, now rest, right? That's not how we do it. It's not how we do it at all. Now we wake up in the morning, and the first thought is, what do we have to do today, right? It's always, where's my calendar? Where's my what? I've got to make sure that I'm doing my, no. God created man, he gave him a job, and then he said, rest. And then he said, out of my restedness, you are going to work. Right? That's the way it's supposed to be. Today's Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, yeah, Sunday. Today is the, the first day of the week, and, all, and, and I know we're going to have a, I know some of you want to have a discussion about what a Sabbath really means. I'm just going to say this, and you guys have your own opinions, you're allowed to be wrong, it's not a big deal. But there's only one day... There's only one day in the entire week that God has sanctified and said it's holy. There's only one day that he's put his signature on and he said, this is my day, I want, you to, I want you to make this my day. And it's not Sunday, just so you know that. The one day is Saturday. It's never going to change. I can't make that. And you don't want me to change God's word. And you say, well, what, what about making a Sabbath on my own day? You know, however you define that is your business. But I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible says that the Sabbath is Saturday, period. So when you come to work on Sunday, we come to work on Sunday. We come to work on Sunday. You're not, this is not a Sabbath day. It's not a rest day. 
I know a lot of you guys, you, you like to say, well, I just want to rest. I just want to enjoy my Sundays and, and make this my Sabbath. Well, that's nice that you feel that way, but God created the Sabbath. Now, I'm not saying that we should be Sabbatarians and we should, we, should, we should do what the Jews do because there's a lot of discussion in the New Testament about the Jews who, sanct- who, who, who deified the, the day rather than using it as an opportunity that God created it for, and that is a day for us to rest, pause, and look at God and creation and the universe and just say thank you and just... You know, we don't do that. Now, I don't think God's going to be upset with you if you don't sit down and rest and deep breathe on Saturday. But I do think that God's going to be irritated if you don't take time at all to sit down and say, God, I'm just going to spend some time with you. We don't do it. We don't do it enough. And this is a danger that we have. The practice of rest, making it a rhythm in our worth, in our in our week, is a time where we intentionally seek to put joy in our life. We should delight and seek out opportunities to delight ourselves with our families and friends. We ought to have a Sabbath feast or feasts. And we should have them often, like, hey, once a week. We ought to, hey, that'd be fun, right? We ought to have times where we can just sit down and say, we're going to draw my friends together and I'm going to enjoy, just enjoy being with you. The problem is, is that we don't find, we don't have the time for such craziness. We don't have time to sit back and do nothing. But you know, the truth is, when just like any other spiritual discipline, to have success for this, and I'm going to give you some, this, some ideas because I need these, because I don't do this very well, is we need to plan and prepare for it. You know, if we plan for a Sabbath rest like we plan for, for, for the, uh, the arrival of a, of a cherished loved one or a very close friend, you know, I mean, actually plan for it. I mean, if you, if you know you have a friend that you haven't seen since high school, your best friend you ever grew up with, and they're coming up here to Alaska to see you and to see where you live, and maybe do some fish and do some fun stuff, what are you going to do? Are you just going to go on with business as usual and, and not really can be concerned about it and they just show up on like a Thursday and the house is a mess, the kids are all wild, the dogs are running crazy and, and you just haven't had any time? He goes, oh man, I'm glad you arrived. I, I forgot you were coming. No, you don't do that. You get in there and you clean the baseboards, you scrub the walls, you even clean the ceiling sometimes, right? You, you get the dust off the ceiling fan because that's gross, right? And you don't want them to think you have an ugly ceiling fan, so you want them to enjoy your house. You actually get down and, and, and you prepare for the arrival of a cherished loved one or a best friend. If we did that every week for when we had that Sabbath rest, amazing, imagine how that could be with God. See, God created us to work, but we're supposed to work out of his rest. We need to listen for the voice of God, not the voice of the enemy. The enemy is telling you you're not good enough, that you haven't done enough today. There are still things that need to be done. Ignore the voice of the enemy. Put down your planners and your cell phones And take a moment to just simply say, I'm giving this moment to you, God. And do that as a family. Try that this week. Try that next week. Try that. Give give God, hey, let's do something really radical here. Give God eight weeks. You know? You say, oh, pastor, that's a lot. 
I don't know if I can give one day to God for, for every week, for eight weeks. That's, that's crazy talk. Try for six, try for two, try for three. I don't care how often you try, but try it. Because if you do, I can promise you this, you will become addicted to your time off. And as the voice of the enemy subsides and the voice of God swells within you and gives you the strength you need to, you realize that that true rest you have in God will allow you to move forward into where he wants you. And you won't be able to be held back. This is where we're at in this world. And I know some of you are sitting there saying, well, how can I, I, I don't really understand all this because, you know, I, I sit here and I, I listen to these words, but it doesn't really make any sense because I've never really embraced the original nature of this by accepting Christ as my Savior. There are some of you that don't understand the idea of what it means to take a rest on a Sabbath day because we're using Christian terms. The reality is that if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you'll never have any rest or peace. You will wander through this world intentionally and, and forever busy, and you go into eternity, and you won't be happy with your result. We don't spend enough time talking about that side of eternity. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't want to go there. I'm not planning to go there. You see, you listen to, you, you read the, the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. In fact, if you really break it down, like set, verses 7 through 11, really sort of give you the nuts and bolts of what it means. But he talks about entering into his rest for eternity. I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to that, right? The day that I can spend forever resting in, the, in, in who Christ is, to be able to walk into heaven and to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful service, welcome and enter into my rest. That's what heaven really is is an eternal rest for the soul as we can have an opportunity to worship God for all eternity. But we worship him not as work, but as rest, as we can enjoy being in his presence. What man originally had in the coolness of the garden when God would walk hand in hand with them. This is what he has for us in the future. This is our goal. If you don't know Christ, your personal savior, I encourage you, don't get don't leave here today without getting that part right because that's where the rest begins. That's where your eternity is secured. That eternal rest is taken care of and now you can begin to build the disciplines necessary to be able to be ready for that eternal rest when we step into there. Now I know that many of you that have sat through all my, a lot of my sermons, you know that I'm coming to the end of my message. I am. We're getting ready to close down in this. And this is going to be a different morning. We're going to have a few minutes at the end. We're going to take to honor God as we, as we take a moment to, 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 to breathe deeply. And we're going to, to remember the sacrifice he made on the cross through our Lord's Supper. And we're going to talk about the breaking of bread and the breaking of the body. We're talking about the, 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 the blood that, that was represented in the cup that Christ handed out in that last supper as we begin to look at the new covenant that he created with man through his own shedding of his blood. And we're going to honor him through that process. And already some of us are tapping our heels, looking at our clock, checking our phones. I don't know about you guys, I've gotten like six different messages since I've been sitting here, and I use my phone as a clock, so it pops up, and it, and it keeps wanting to tell me the score of the latest football game, and I want to know, but I don't want to know, but I want to know, right? Because it's there, and it's so available. But, you know, put down the phone, put it aside. Forget the fact you got crockpot food cooking. Know that this moment right now is between you and God. After we're done with the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask Brother Phil and his, and his entourage, entourage, yeah, an entourage now, to come up. And they're going to lead us as we close out the service. But they're not just going to lead us in a few songs. They're going to lead us to sing. Well, we're going to invite you to come to the altar and get it finished, get it settled. 
and say, God, I'm sorry for not honoring you in my, in, in your, in my life, in, the, in, in keeping a Sabbath for you, and resting, and allowing you to speak to me, recharge me, renew me, and prepare me for the work ahead, rather than, than, than just work hard now. And it's also going to be a place you can come if you've never accepted Christ your Savior, where you can actually bow your head before a holy God and bow your will and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. I will accept you as my Savior. I am a sinner and I can't save myself. The altar is the place to come. It's up to you. It's in your hands. You know, we're not a church that believes in a closed communion. We don't believe that this is only just for the actual um, members of the church that have signed the paperwork and given it to Brother Bill in the back. We believe in an open communion, and, and you decide whether or not you feel worthy to take it. But let me tell you something. Taking of this bread and this juice may not mean anything to you guys, but it means a whole lot to me. Paul warns the people that take it the wrong way. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never bowed your head before, if you've never been baptized, followed in believer's baptism, then you need to ask yourself, should I take this? Because Paul says if you don't take this correctly, it could be the last act you do on this planet. It can be kind of scary. When Bill and Steve and I were putting these speakers up, we put them up pretty solid. But they are hanging by a single pipe, right? And we thought, man, that'd be an interesting sermon illustration, right? If, you know, boom, boom, squish. And we're like, oh my goodness, that would be horrible. Now I'm saying that everybody's going to like give it wide berth now, right? But I don't give you a wide berth as long as you come up. But the thing is, you have to ask yourself, we don't know how long we have, right? We don't know when our last breath is. I can tell you this, that many people in the old days when Paul was preaching and teaching, when they took the communion the wrong way and God said, you know, that, I'm, I, I have no, I have no, I'm not doing this. You're either going to honor my, uh, the Lord's Supper, you're going to honor this time of communion with me, or you're not. And if you're not, I'm going to end you. No, God created the universe. He can end us if he wants to. It's his job. It's his, it's his creation. And he may end us uh, you know, 20, 30 years from now from cancer or something else, or he may just do it right now because we decide to take it in a sinful way. So I'm going to close this time with prayer. And I'm going to ask you during this time of prayer, when I'm speaking, that you ask God to reveal to you if there's anything that might inhibit you from taking freely the communion this morning, this time of the Lord's Supper, as we commune with Him. And if there is, ask Him to forgive you. Get it out of the way. And when the plate is passed, feel free to take it. If you still don't feel worthy, don't take it. But see me afterwards. See my brother Bill in the back. we be more than happy to show you in God's Word what it means to be saved what it means to truly know who he is. Then we'll open the altar and we'll see where the Holy Spirit leads. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we know we're ending our service and we know that the time is marching on. And we know many of us have lots of things that we need to do today. The agenda's already stacking up. The calendar's calling. Father, I ask that you'll give us an opportunity this week to truly take a break to be able to truly rest in a way we've never rested before. Father, I ask that you will completely forgive us of our sins that we might, that we might have committed this week, the things that would inhibit us from being able to come into your table and to be able to freely partake. Father, I know in a moment we're going to be asking the blessing over the, the bread and the juice, and we're going to move forward in this time of communion, but Lord, I just ask that you will cleanse us, prepare us, 
And Father, I just ask, as I always ask, if there's anyone out there that doesn't know you, Father, don't let them leave here today without getting their heart right. And Lord, we know it's as easy as simply asking forgiveness, recognizing that we're a sinner, and freely accepting what your son did on the cross. And what did he do? Father, we know that he died and took our sin on him. We know that after three days in the tomb that you raised him from the grave and you showed us by example what you're going to do for us in that final day, that great day of judgment. Father, we ask this morning that you'll bless us, you'll sanctify us, and you'll move us in the direction that you've called us to. We ask this now in the name of your Son, our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.